In this high place you may see the two powers that are opposed one to another, and ever they strive now in thought. But whereas the light perceives the very heart of the darkness, its own secret has not been discovered, not yet. He turned and climbed swiftly down, and they followed him. At the hill's foot Frodo found Aragorn, standing still and silent as a tree, but in his hand was a small golden bloom of Eleanor, and a light was in his eyes. He was wrapped in some fair memory, and as Frodo looked at him, he knew that he beheld things as they had once had been in this same place. For the grim years were removed from the face of Aragorn, and he seemed clothed in white, a young lord tall and fair, and he spoke words in the elvish tongue to whom, to one whom Frodo could not see. Arwen Vanamelda Namarie, he said. And then he drew a breath and returned out of his thought. He looked at Frodo and smiled. Here is the heart of Elvendom on earth, he said. And here my heart dwells ever, unless there be a light beyond the dark roads that we still must tread, you and I. Come with me. And taking Frodo's hand in his, he left the hill of Karen Amroth and came there never again as a living man. The Way Lesser Inklings is a podcast whose desire is to mine the depths of great literature to identify the good, the true, and the beautiful through examining characters and places and the writings and to pay homage to the great writers, thinkers, and philosophers of the 20th century known as the Inklings. Welcome back to the Way Lesser Inklings. I know it's uh, it's been a little bit longer, but real life happens, and I don't know if it's a treat for you, it's a treat for us. Today we get to record this one in the same room, so that's a first for the podcast, so I don't have to do the weird thing where Jake just chimes in, so yeah. <laughs> you want to talk, right talk about how excited you are? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it is. It's exciting. We've been doing this over video call uh, the whole time, and that presents some issues, but having the conversation be, be live is, uh, is going to be really exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and, and this one is a chapter that is called Lothlorien. Um, I think that this is the kind of chapter that really is kind of the lifeblood of why we do this podcast, because you know as well as I do, there, there's a few chapters that stick out in your mind. You could probably name them. When you think mm-hmm. about reading The Lord of the Rings, there's, there's a few chapters that just stick out as you remember them being slow, like mm-hmm. not having action, right? We've already done a couple. Of, the Old Forest was one of those chapters. Yeah. We've got Treebeard coming up yeah. you know, pretty soon. There's, there's some chapters like that, and this has always been one of those, and I'm, I'm happy to report that I don't think that I've ever been so wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually more excited to to do this one than any in a long time, and the last chapter really surprised me too with the Bridge of Khazad-dûm. So, having said that, I'll I will tell you as we as we set up this chapter, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I think I'm gonna let you do the the plod through it. I got this chapter way wrong when I first read, and I and I changed my mind in the last like three pages of it. I really thought that what was going on was a heaven theme, um, mm. like going kind of a Lewis thing of going further up and further in. And I think that I was just wholesale completely wrong about it. And, and, you know, I was seeing the the goodness of the elves, which is there, but I think there's really something else that's much richer going on. And, and I think the thoughts to roam with are going to be really fun in this one, but, um, Jake, I'll let you take us through, just go through Lothlorien. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, there, I do think just to tack onto that before we get into the narrative piece, I do think that, uh, the, um, the narrative, like the, the themes are, are, a several, I think, and and that kind of has been the case in a lot of our uncovering of of chapters that maybe we thought of as lesser in prior read throughs, and so I do think um, I do think there's a a really sweet theme at the end that that 
you know, as we kind of pre-gamed, we, we came to, but I, there's other really important stuff that I know we're going to touch on. And so, um, so with that, just the, the narrative arc, uh, of the chapter, essentially, obviously we're in, uh, the sober moment of the falling of Gandalf, uh, and, you know, we, we sort of lose some of the, some of the solemnity of that because we still have to get out of the gates of Moria where, where danger is, still all about us. And so, so they do, they escape the gates. Um, they, they move away, uh, get, get down the steps and, and far away. Um, and they, they stop for a moment to grieve. Um, and so there's, there's this, this little, little reprieve, uh, the sun is out. And so there's also, um, knowing orcs who travel in the darkness and don't like the sun. There's, there's a little bit of a breather for us, uh, and so, so there's a, a, a brief moment to grieve and then they're going to have to move on. Uh, we have a little bit of, um, a little bit of a last also m- moment with the dwarves where Gimli takes Frodo to the mirror mirror, um, which is a really sweet moment. And I think, I know we'll talk about that more. And then from there, I mean, we, we walk on, we get into the edges of the wood known as Lothlorien or the golden wood, um, which is. Uh, as we find out later, uh, Aragorn calls it the heart of Elvendom on Earth. Uh, it's it's a uh, it's in a lot of ways it's like Moria. It's a great society. It's the greatest of societies of this race uh, in Middle Earth. And so, really, we we're we're moving that direction. We cross an important river uh, called the Nimrodel, and then um, they they sleep in the trees uh, and you know hide from the band of orcs that come looking for them. Uh, there's another pursuer that's still unknown, uh, but presents a little bit of a, a threat. And then, um, and then our our party is blindfolded uh, to hide the gates to Lothlorien uh, as they're led in by Haldir and, and a Lothlorien elf and, and a couple of his brothers. And so, and I know we'll we'll break down all of that stuff as <laughs> as we move on. Oh, yeah. it's a, we need to save lots of time for that 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 part on. I think because that's where it really gets into it and so to end they they they're brought up the city right and and it just dazzles you know the the heart of elvendom is like this golden just infested with light and huge trees that that feel like they're almost sentient in a way they're, they're alive like you can almost feel the energy coming off of describes it and and that's where we end for another pretty famous chapter next one that that i think is a little bit more obviously important to the story you know, with, with the mirror but, but this one i like that you said you know right when we start there's this grief and there's the idea if you you try to think about characters in the story that you're you've just run away from hordes of orcs and this balrog that that fell into the abyss and you the the, the good guys have to stop for a moment that that they sit that they they cry, they they grieve about Gandalf falling, but they can't sit forever. And I think it tells us a little bit about grief. And then Aragorn particularly grieves at the very start of this chapter. He says that we can't stay any longer. Alas for Gandalf, farewell. Um, did I not say if you pass the doors of Moria, beware? Alas that I spoke through. What hope have we without you? And then he says that we'll have to proceed without hope, but at least yet we may be avenged. And I, I think that the, uh, I think the movies took that line a little bit, you know, they, they give one to Amr, you know, hope is forsaken these lands, 
But they also say, you know, with Aragorn at the end of the first movie, there's a real thing where he says, you know, we won't abandon our friends to death and torment. Let's hunt some orc. Kind of that idea of revenge, like vengeance. So why start off that way? Why the grief to vengeance? What do you think he's talking about? Vengeance. I think that's not obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously, the grief uh, for the loss of their guide and friend. I, I think um, as we unpack, you know, the, the relationship, particularly to Aragorn and Frodo, is really more of a discipleship relationship, which is a friend relationship, but, you know, also a friend and teacher relationship. And so for Aragorn and Frodo, this is a, a bitter loss. Um, you know, and obviously for the rest of the party with Gandalf wielding great power and wisdom, you know, it, it puts, it puts the, you know, it puts the journey, uh, at, at risk, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think obviously, um, it's a heavy blow and, and grief is something that hits people in different ways. Um, and, and the way you deal with it, you know, happens differently, but, unfortunately for the company and probably that something we wouldn't likely would not have ever experienced is, is grief in wartime where, you know, I can't even imagine, but your, your buddy being lost to the battle Mm -hmm. and, and you, you can't stop and grieve. And, and so there's, they, they get the moment here, but it's, it's short Mm -hmm. um, because they're in the battle still. So in some sense is Aragorn saying something along the lines of, we we may not have any hope anymore, but we have to keep going. There's there's really no choice. Like it, it, you know, hope is a luxury that it doesn't really matter right now because it, it's really between going on or dying. And and so the vengeance could be without the hope, there could be a fuel to the fire that at least we may triumph. And I think we talked before that he's not. I don't think he's talking about orcs here, and I don't think he's talking about the Balrog. I think he's talking about darkness itself, and that that the vengeance might come from their, their quest being fulfilled from, from taking down Sauron who would also take down basically the, the evil of Moria that's been bolstered by Sauron's forces. Right. Yeah. I I think it has to be that. Um, and I, uh, I think the idea there, we, we know that Sauron sent forces to Moria. Um, I don't think I had an interesting conversation actually this week about the Balrog and, you know, I don't, the Balrog to me is, is definitely not Sauron's agent, but it doesn't mean that Sauron can't use him tactically. Uh, Sauron is wiser and greater, maybe not in physical power, but, but definitely in tactic and manipulation. And so I, I, I think that Sauron recognizes the power that holds Moria and uses it to his advantage. Right, right. And so the, you know, and that's what Gandalf fell to. Gandalf fell to the wielded power, right? Again, not, not directly under Sauron, but that's what they're fighting against. Right. Yeah, I think, I think that's there. And so as they move on now, there's, it, it says that they pass by Durin's stone and that Gimli says that he has to turn aside here, that he has to look on Keladzerim, which is a, a marker that goes back to the very beginnings of dwarf history. And, and I think very notably, Gimli asked Frodo to come with him to look at it. Um, first of all, why, why, the, why does he ask Frodo to go with him? What did you want to say about dwarf culture? I know it's, it's kind of the end of this here, and we're going to make some real connections between the elves and the dwarves as we go. But we're kind of closing the door on dwarfdom here, and we're going to move into elvendom. Right. Yeah, I think it is. It's, it's, um, I think it's the pride of Gimli's culture, right? We, we've seen it 
uh, from the beginning as Moria even came became a word on their lips that you know this this was this was the greatest civilization uh, in dwarven history and so Frodo and you know something we've talked about there is being the leader of the party really because um, the quest does depend on him mm-hmm. so he's he's the guide to the quest you know maybe not in direction but definitely in function and in power and so I think it's I think it's Gimli sharing with the leader of you know of the fellowship this last glorious place almost like a sanctuary um of the dwarven culture in moria yeah yeah i think it's right there i think i think there's also another subtle thing why tolkien slides this in is because he gives us sam following frodo again like mm-hmm. this is a thing where there's no danger involved here really the whole the whole company's here and gimli is a stout warrior but sam's going to go anyway because from this point on sam with with one exception is not going to let frodo out of his sight and and i think what tolkien is doing here is he's building up that that one time right there's yeah. there's one time when vigilance fails and otherwise sam is going with frodo all the time and it and it leads to this almost spiritual situation where gimli and and frodo and sam look out over the mirror mirror and see what Durin saw. Very notably, Gimli says that this is the first thing, this is what Durin saw when he started Moria, was this crystal clear lake that reflects the stars perfectly like a mirror and the encircling mountains around it. Just a beautiful place. And, and it's, it's so awe-inspiring, I think, that when they get back to the party, Pippin asks Sam what he saw, and Sam just can't even tell him. Right. <laughs> it's kind of beyond words. That yeah. in a way, Sam, like, it almost seems like maybe Sam shouldn't have even been there. And in a way, Pippin may understand that because he doesn't ask Frodo or Gimli, because maybe at this point, Frodo's too lordly to be asked a question like that. I really think Tolkien is giving us those kind of breadcrumbs there where, where Frodo is, is grown in stature, where there is this clear hierarchy, even within the fellowship, that Pippin is going to, in a way, kind of attack the softer target. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's, it's more comfortable to ask Sam. And remember, back from the beginning, Pippin and Frodo are peers. Right. They're, they're not on different footings, but they are now because of what's happened with the Fellowship and because Frodo is the ring bearer, and that gives him a power. So that is an interesting thing. Another, another thought that actually just kind of stirred in my mind as we're talking about the mirror of Keled Zaram, right? And we're, we're going to be talking about the really the great similarities between Moria and Lorien oh, yeah, is good, the, the mirror of Gladriel, yeah. right? And it's in, in a similar way, like in a different but similar way is, right, Sam, Frodo, and Gimli are clearly moved by the mirror mirror. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they definitely are with the power of, you know, the mirror of Gladriel. Right. And I, I think, you know, there's a thing, look, you could go a long time with this. The, the, the mirror shows the encircling mountains it's kind of this idea that Moria has been lost to the dwarves. We cover that in great detail in the last two chapters. There's also mm-hmm. the thing, Gimli throws a nod that, you know, this wouldn't have happened had Caradhras been less cruel, right? And so there's this idea that the whole mountain's turned against the dwarves, right? This mirror that's a beautiful place, in a way there's a somber thing because even though it's still beautiful, they've lost it. And, and I think that's, there, there's all this stuff bound together that's in there. And I, I wanted to make a mention, I highlighted it. I don't even know what to do with it. Okay. I know I know from reading a lot of times before that this comes back, but Gimli says there's a spring from which the silver load rises and he says don't drink of it, it is icy cold. That's going to be a thing that 
Tolkien uses, especially in Mordor, where there's this idea of you shouldn't drink the water if it's icy cold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not really sure what he's doing with that. I want to just kind of put that in there and, you know, that maybe it'll become more clear later. I don't know that there's really anything here to, to make sense of it. It's source waters. There's this kind of wild river. The, the silver load seems to be this, you know, fueled by the, the ice melt, like a, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, like a, a really kind of wild place, an, an untamed thing. And, and there's this warning to not drink of it. And I, I did. I just wanted to park it there. I definitely wouldn't throw, throw you a question and ask you what that means because I don't, I don't think we're there yet. Yeah. So, well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's tough. I really don't think it gives us enough yet. Um, so now that we see Lorian and now we're, we're to that part, I think, where we'll get with the similarities of the elves and dwarves, I think, as we get there. But they see, they see Lorian, they're going to go, and then I think this notable thing happens, right, that really starts to point the way, is that Aragorn says that, you know, he's going to be glad to, to be in Lorien even in the winter. Because Legolas is saying, man, I wish it was the spring where we could see, like, true beauty of it, right, Every, all the life. And Aragorn says, I'll, I'll be happy in the dead of winter. And then Boromir waits. Right? He doesn't want to come. <laughs> he, he's afraid of it. He's been told tales. We're going to get more of that you know, later in the story. But I, I think you mentioned that specifically, so I'm going to give the floor to you on it. Talk about Boromir here. Right. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because uh, B- Boromir had... Now, a quick aside on Boromir's trepidation about Moria because um, that, was a, that was a fear that went beyond just him you know because the the history knew that Durin's bane had been awakened and had never been dealt with however uh, I do think it's interesting that this dwarf kingdom you know that Boromir just doesn't want to be a part of and basically says I won't go unless the whole company is against me um, and then as we come into essentially the same type of kingdom again not with the darkness about it um, but the same type of kingdom that uh, that the elves control, he he also doesn't want to go. And and what strikes me as odd in this is that really it, it kind of uh, dawned on me in the Council of Elrond is that Boromir has this exact same attitude about about Minas Tirith. <laughs> is that is that basically what's happening? And and we'll unpack this more with Lorien. But what's happening in Moria and Lorien are these are vanguards of a civilization that are cut off mm-hmm. from the rest of the world. And, and that's exactly what Boromir, you know, desires about Minas Tirith. Yeah. He, right? he wants the, only the strength to defend his own borders, right. essentially. That's and right. He thinks that that's going to be good enough for the whole world. Like right. as long as we're able to hold him back, like everybody behind us will be fine. And it's, it's a worldview that just never has work, never will work. Um, we're we gonna we're we gonna go here now. I, I don't yet. I don't <laughs> okay. want to yet. And I missed something else that I know you wanted to do, and I think it's really important because because I skipped it. And that's Frodo. So as they're going, Frodo's been lagging behind because he's hurt, and Aragorn stops and and says, you know, I'm sorry, Frodo. Like we we got in this hurry. I know you're hurt. I want to attend to you. We see the first. You know, it really. This is another idea. This other hint here. What kind of person Aragorn is? Right. That he has these skills he is a healer that's prophetic later on but i think most of all you want to talk like a last gasp on mithril here I also so. yeah it was it was really like it is it's a last little thing i think we're probably done with the dwarves after this um is 
it's it was really fascinating to me is the thing that caused the downfall of the dwarves. They're they're seeking mithril in the depths of the earth um, is actually now what has saved the earth from the darkness, at least for a time, right? Until until we run the story out. Mm-hmm. But in this moment, you know, because because what would happen? Like who takes the ring at that point? Right. Like what do you do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think there's that. There's not a plan for that. I mean, that's why the that's why they're all around to protect him because if he fails, it's kind of assumed that they're all dead. Like he's he would be the last one out. And and that's that's how they act, right? Is that someone's always with Frodo? That he's he's critical. He he's the most critical to the operation, and he's the leader who is really, in a way, almost has a secret service around. Right? He's he's protected. <laughs> if he's going to die, the the fellowship has failed utterly. So yeah, and it and it comes down to this gift, you know, that Bilbo gave him because. You know, once again, showing that Bilbo was wise, right? That Bilbo has has a wisdom and a and a wariness about him that that's played off in a folksy kind of, in a way, almost like a grandma's like sayings kind of deal. Like, but but Bilbo knows, like, you're going into danger. I'd like to have this on you, hidden, you know, so that you're protected from arrows and stabs and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, it works. it works. It works. I mean, isn't it wild that um, that the pity of Bilbo may have a part to play, and the generosity of Bilbo mm-hmm. has a part to play? Right. right. Yeah, it, it's because it, the, the story really what why it intrigues people. There's there's myriad reasons. I think we're going to scratch at some of them later in this episode at the at the epic finale. Yeah. But I, but I think one of the real things that it does is that it real choices really matter. That it's it's got this tension going on that we really uncovered in the Council of Elrond is that there is this tension of destiny and like a sovereign plan and prophecies and all that kind of stuff, but also going on at the same time is that these decisions and these choices that the characters make really matter. Like they really matter a lot, and they're almost always ethical choices or moral mm-hmm. choices. Think about what Bilbo did, right? He he gave a gift that was worth more than his entire country to his nephew who he had adopted out of his compassion and his pity, right? That, that Bilbo, Bilbo with kindness saves the world in a sense with his generosity and his kindness. And it's just going to keep wrapping around because Frodo's not a person that appeared out of nowhere. Frodo carries on the discipleship of Bilbo and he acts the same way, right? He, he does the same things. And, and so there's a real, like, I think that's the richness of it is there, there's this current that's flowing underneath that's really telling us, how are you supposed to live? Yeah. He's a chosen heir. <laughs> right. Right. Frodo did nothing to earn, <laughs> to earn right. Bilbo's generosity. Yeah. His, his parents drown. You know, it, it was a tragic situation that saves the world. There's, there's all this kind of stuff going on. It's, it's really interesting. And so I think it does, finally. <laughs> we, we close the door on the dwarves. For now, except in comparison at the end. And we'll, we'll put a pin in the Boromir thing, too, because we really want to hammer that, I think, at the end and not show our hand too much here. Um, so we, we come to the edge of Lorien, and there's a roaring stream, right? The, the Nimrodel. There's the, the orcs. It, it's quiet, but they know that they're coming. And so... What happens here? There, there's like a guard, right? A guard set on the edge of Lorien, and and there's an interaction, and yeah. I think that gets us into Lorien culture here, 
Right. Yeah. So, um, right. They, they're caught by the guards or in a sense. Um, and they, well, there's a, there is a song in the midst of this too. Maybe we, we come back to it a little bit, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're caught by the border guard of Lorien. Uh, interestingly, um, so Haldir is the leader of the guard, uh, served by his two brothers. And it's, it's, it's pretty fascinating to me because the two brothers do not speak the Western tongue. Um, and we're not given age, but it's almost just at this point, like it's generally assumed, I would think that most elves are at least the third age old, which at this point is what? 3000 years, 30, 30, even more. It's actually like 3,500. Yep. Yeah, it's been more. a long time. The third age is not young. Right. It's, right. it's nearing its end. Right. And that, and that's an assumption on my part. Um, but but that's it's kind of built on the way the elves discuss um the world. And so it's it's really fascinating to me that um that there's two elves that have been that are that old. Like that's a lot of years. Yep. Yep. I mean, even if they're not, they're adults. Like <laughs> right. you know, and so um, you know, to not speak a common tongue says a lot mm-hmm. about what's going on in Lorien. Right. Yeah. So we, we see that Lorien really is treated like a fortress, right? In a way, like it's, it's kind of like Boromir's dream child in a sense, right? Is that, that this thing is guarded by it being secret in this confounding wood. It's got water protection from these, you know, the, the roaring river, Nimrodel that obviously has an enchantment to it. And so the elves, even the frontier elves, right? The, the frontier ones that are guarding the borders, they don't, they don't even speak the common tongue, showing that they have no interaction with the outside world whatsoever. Because basically, I think what's implied there is that anything they run into, it's kill first and ask questions later. You know, you're not allowed to cross the Nimrodel. And the, the, the company knows that they're being chased and they, they got to think. And there's some, there's some wisdom. I think it's Gimli that says it, is it not? That, mm-hmm. <laughs> very strangely, like Gimli says, you know, probably the only shelter we're going to have here is up in the trees, you know? And in this, this, this whole thing's going on here where they're going to climb up in the trees and they get found out is, you know, as Legolas is going to scale it, the, the elf that's on guard yells out a command and Legolas jumps down. And he's afraid, right? Signifying that you don't mess around on these borders. Right, you don't get to go in here. <laughs> it's a dangerous, dangerous place to be, and and this, it, it, I, it's probably a good place to talk. We, people skip the songs. We've we've been all over people not to do that. <laughs> and I, do that. I think you said something really interesting last week that this is kind of a greater Withy Wendell moment. Like if you remember the Enchanted River from the Old Force that puts the hobbits to sleep, this one really works in a completely different way. Right, it's not a lazy brown water river. But it has a song that, that Legolas sings, and there's, there's this juxtaposition going, right, where you just said it with the language, right, is that Legolas ends the song, and he can't, he can't remember any more of it, because it's been a long time. So Legolas has actually been interacting in the wider world so much that he's almost lost the, the lore of, like, the elven, right? Is that kind of where you were going with it? Yeah, I think so. You know, because in a sense, Legolas is people. Like they're a they're a I don't know a cousin people mm-hmm. to Lorien. Um, they would have been kin in some way. You know, a lesser 
a lesser race, but, but of, you know, kind of of the same branch. And so, yeah, it is, it's really fascinating that, you know, there's this, yeah, there, the, there's this song that, that, you know, he, you would think he would know well, mm-hmm. um, being as old as he is and, and they're in the, I think the proclivity of elves to, to know and memorize song, right. You know, about, about history. Yeah, It's kind of their delight. It's yeah. their pleasure. Yeah. That's what they like to do. And so this, this stream Nimrodel that has enchantment that sings, right. It's, it's a stream that is not protection in the sense that you would think, you know, it's not like a deep river that's going to drown you. It's more like there's an enchantment on it to cross it that really only good should cross it because it's a cleansing thing, right? It, it washes mm-hmm. their feet off as they're crossing. And later on, the, the elves are going to say, curse the orc feet who fouled up the water of the Nimrodel. So, so really, in a way, it's almost like a, a cleansing line into what, I'm going to tentatively call here the tabernacle of Lothorian. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Cause that's, you, you could go Amish, but I think there's better, I think there's better license to talk about it as, as a tabernacle or that sort of thing. But there is this gate in a sense, right? This outer gate, this outer court where it's not death for Legloss to cross it. It's not death for the hobbits to cross it. It is death for the orcs to cross it. This way of like, Hey, you know, if you're, if you're, not hostile to the worldview of the elves. Like this is the outer reaches. You can be here. We'll deal with your guards. But the orcs to cross it to death. You cannot come in among these people. I think I think it's all there. And look, I'm seeing it now because of seeing the end and kind of seeing where it goes. I think it's really important that it does become like a dividing line, the Nimrodel. And it and it does that through its cleansing enchanted power. You have anything else you want to do on that? That one? I don't think I don't I don't think so. Um, yeah, I think we can move on to the to the interview. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so the action is orcs come right. They they go underneath it. The elves are gonna basically make noises, draw them deeper and deeper into the forest, and kill every one of them. Um, while while the elves are off because they don't have enough to contend with orcs, they're they're few in number, but they want to bring them into where they got more help, and they're signaling. We have that encounter where the the company is up in the trees, and Frodo and Sam are up there, and I mean we we know that it's Gollum who has crossed and who is sniffing and coming up the tree. Why here? What what do you think? It is just in regards to what we just talked about, where right the the foul feet of the orcs cross the Nimrodel. Like Gollum's feet are no less foul. But he's he's much cleverer and more cunning than they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I think, you know, really what's going on is Tolkien's continuing. I think to give us the, I think the fervor of Gollum's yep. hunt, yep. right? The the power of the ring is so wrapped around his dark heart mm-hmm. that this is all he can do. He's he is relentless. He he knows no other way. And he's cunning because he he's not going to get killed like the other orcs. And that's because he's not going to be able to be fooled. He knows exactly where the ring is and where the party is. And so there's no distraction that's ever going to be Gollum. Gollum is singularly never distracted. He's got, he's got one thing on his mind at all times. Uh, and, and that is interesting. So, they, so moving on, the, the orcs go past. And then, and then you run into the real protective river. Right, the the Celebrant, 
that that flows through you know deeper into the woods and it and it actually is more of a a water protection you just can't cross it it's deep and fast and and so they string up a couple of ropes and run across it and i think that's is that where you wanted to get to with where you want to jump into the blindfolding and stuff like that yeah okay. definitely yeah okay yeah and and that was kind of the offshoot yeah of the interview portion where essentially they're allowed to camp in the tree mm -hmm. really because of aragorn yeah and yeah, and, yeah. and you know in a sense frodo because they've heard of the journey um you know elrond has sent messages uh, we're not really sure how he's done that but he has done I it think presumably through his sons i think i think there was something about them going to the silver load or something along those lines on an errand they didn't talk about i think it would be a good good assumption they've sent messages here and and it should be noted that elrond and the and the lords of Lothlorien are very close. They're, they're family through marriage and that sort of thing. So there's friendship between the two big elven Right. And so, and again, but, you know, Aragorn as a character is really critical in that, that bridging, you know, because, because this is a hidden, a hidden kingdom and a hidden people. And Aragorn has traversed here before. Yep. yep. And so it's really by the power of his name that, <laughs> that they're able to live. Right. Yeah, he's well known. He's an elf friend. Um, presumably, this is I, I think going back, and I, I think we get um, complete validation of this later. He he had actually met Arwen, who he pines after in Lorien. So this place this place is incredibly dear to him, and he's well loved by the elves. And so they go in the power of his name, and and after after they cross the river and they've made it past the last really natural barrier. Here comes the idea that, and this is where we really get into the culture, right? Is that no one, they're, they're going to blindfold Gimli because they have a law that dwarves can't go in there without being blindfolded. And so why is this insane? <laughs> I mean, Gimli knows rightly that it is insane. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the dwarves are a free people that, that fight the shadow. And so this, the, this, I mean, this rift between elves and dwarves is right. It defies reason. Mm -hmm. And so that, I mean, that's, that's the insanity of it. Uh -huh. Right. Is, and I think, I don't know, it's, it's crazy because the similarities are great. Like they're the greatest elves and the greatest dwarves are largely crafts, craftsmen. Oh, yeah. And like they're, and they've learned, they learned from and taught each other oh, yeah. in the early days. And so it's like, I, I don't know for sure if it's this bitterness of competition um, of the way of doing things. I'm not sure. They, they got huge history between them where in, in Moria, we see that on the west side of Moria, as they entered in, it was safe friend and enter in Elvish on the, on the gates of the greatest dwarf kingdom ever in, on, on earth. And there was friendship and commerce between them in those days. And then as they get into Lorien that, you know, Legolas makes a comment that, there used to be all kinds of travelings to and fro or before the dwarves unearthed the evil in Moria. And Gimli says it wasn't the dwarves only that did that. And, and they have this spat, again, about the nature of evil, not understanding that, look, why, why should that interfere? And I think what happens is you see time and time again, you see it in The Hobbit really clearly, too, that the elves do, in a sense, one of their one of their failings is that they, they can have a tendency to look down their nose at the other people and they can see the dwarves as being foolish for digging so deep and unearthing the Balrog. 
well, I mean, they have the same tendencies, right? What, what they've done is really the same things. They've gone deeper and deeper into themselves, right? There is, there is all this wooded area with the Malorn trees, very clearly, like these, these trees of Lorien that are special, like the Malorn, they're out here on the borders. But this is, this is like the demilitarized zone. This is not the heart of Elvendom on these borders, right? It's, that's through mazes and secrets. And so through their distrust, you can, you can understand it, right? Because, I mean, we've seen it. Saruman betrayed, he was deep into the council of all the good guys and he betrayed them. But I think there's this tendency of the good guys to be so afraid of somebody turning on them that they really cut off their strength because they're afraid of the bad, it, it, and it's a thing you don't you don't want to operate out of fear. You want to be smart and you want to be wise, but you don't want to be fearful. And it is absolutely insane. And Aragorn knows it's insane to be blindfolding Gimli here. And so the solution is you just blindfold all of us. The idea, and man, that's great leadership, right? It, the idea is Gimli is no different from any of us. If I'm allowed to see it, then Gimli should be. And if I'm if Gimli's not allowed to see it, then I don't want to see it either. And they do that, right? Which is a hurt to Legolas because he has it. Right. And that makes him mad. Yeah, that makes him mad. And then Gimli's like, well, a curse on your stubborn right. head, yeah. right? Like, it, it's all well and good when it's not you that's being blindfolded. And I think it is an interesting thing. And we are going to see some wisdom, right? Because before they make their way all the way in, messages come from the lady of Orion that their quest is known to, to her and that they can take the blindfolds off. And so Gimli does become the first dwarf to see the, the wonders of Bothlorian, which is a pretty amazing thing. And Gimli's a pretty amazing dwarf too. <laughs> so I think, I think that is an interesting interlude. And I look at this as all being foreshadowing to where he wants to go in this chapter. Like I think all of this stuff is building up that he's built these two great cultures up and he's giving us these breadcrumbs that are leading to a culmination. And I cannot believe I've missed it all these years. <laughs> I really can't. It's just, it's right there in front of you. Where, where do you want to go with where we're at now? Um, I think, um, I think I'm ready to move there. Okay. I think. Yeah, there is that idea. I, I should mention it. Haldir says that it seems like folly and nothing is the power of Dark Lord more clearly shown than the, the estrangement that divides all those who still oppose him. Yet so little faith and trust do we find now in the world beyond Lothlorien, unless maybe in Rivendell, that we dare not by our own trust endanger our land. So we know it weakens us. We, <laughs> we know that it plays into the Dark Lord's hands, and yet we're, we're going to do it anyway. Right? That is, yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a great line to transition, you know, into this idea of, and we've talked about it, of the good guys holding up and creating, you know, creating the club or whatever, you know, creating the civilization that's hidden from society or that protects itself from society. Yeah. It's, yeah. It was funny that you mentioned like the, <laughs> the Amish thing earlier. Right. right? I mean, and I know that was intentional, but it's, it's like, that's the idea is like you lose, like they've lost their effectiveness. Right. Well, look, let's, let's be clear. Cause I don't, I, I never want to be heard as bashing the Amish. Here, here's the thing. What they have is beautiful, right? When, it, it when it's beautiful. working correctly, it's beautiful. They, they have strong family connections. They have community like you others. You know, there's, there's this understanding of 
family economy and trades that are passed down from father to son, what's there is really beautiful. And we've lost much from totally wadding that up and throwing it in the trash can. And I think similarly, when you look at Lorian here, what they have is beautiful. Right? What they have is, is immaculate and amazing and, and powerful, you know, and all that stuff. But it is ultimately a failure. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so right when the when the enemy makes the assault on our culture as it's happening, where are they? Right. Right. There are none. Right. They're they're gonna stay on their islands. And that's what Sauron wanted because his his design was to have every one of the free people on their own island so that he could attack all of them one by one and and really play on their hesitancy and play on their um, you know, you see it's a it's a World War II axiom, right? Is that the French were so afraid of Paris getting blitzed and bombed that they just they just turned it over. You know, we have such beautiful museums and architecture here that it, like and you know, you know that the bad guys knew. You you knew that they count on that. Right. So if you have material things or if you have a place that you elevate to being, you know, the the unstained epitome of goodness, then be prepared to lose it because that's not going to withstand the enemy. Now, we've talked often on here about how we have to love what's beautiful, right? We have to strive to build beautiful things that, that all that's there, but the, the beautiful things can never become the main. <laughs> and this is a culture on the precipice with, with, look, I don't know what the pecking order is. She's not as powerful as Tom Bombadil, and no one's ever going to be able to convince me otherwise. <laughs> but, but Galadriel, the, the ruler of Orion, is the, the oldest and wisest and most powerful of all the elves. She, she is a Noldor, which if you, if you go into the lore, she, she dates all the way back to like the, great, the, the greatest elf lords that were there at creation. Right. I think she's second generation. I think that's maybe right, maybe right. third, second or third from creation. Right. She's old. She's thousands and thousands and thousands of old. So she goes back to the very dawn of time, like the first age, and and so she is wise, incredibly wise. She has forethought and foreknowledge. She can she can protect her realm. She can keep her secrets. She has the power of mind. And look, we can we can go off on a tirade against the abomination on Amazon, but there's no real need to that, that her real power is her wisdom and her and her mind that she can hide secrets from the Dark Lord, that she has a ring of power that's not been touched by the Dark Lord and he can't penetrate what it's done. She she is incredibly powerful. Incredibly admirable. She's good. Now, if you read the Silmarillion, which once again, what are you doing if you haven't? <laughs> she is described in the Silmarillion as being an elf that's a little bit impetuous, that she's kind of hot-blooded, you know, that she will, she'll, she was at the kinslaying, which, which is a, you know, an infamous part of the story that everyone involved with it was stained, right? That, and and she, she has this idea, like she can be tempted, and we'll see that soon. And I think what she does is she really almost turns in on herself. And this becomes like, well, I have this tendency to want to take dominion and I'm just going to, we're just going to hole up here. <laughs> so, so there we go. So why am I talking so much about this? Right. So here's my parable. Look, this is going to sound like a wild 
I mean, may, look, you think I've said wild things before. I, I feel more sure about this one. So first of all, let me read this line. Every, everyone who knows anything about the Bible will get it right away. And I've read this probably 40 times I saw it. But here it is. So they're looking out. They, they see Lorien. It's glorious, right? Caragalathon. They see, they see the city and the hill. And then and Haldir is showing them all this. And then they see this haze, this dark haze out on the horizon. And he says, there lies the fastness of southern Mirkwood. It is, a, it is clad in a forest of dark fir where the trees strive one against another and their branches rot and wither. In the midst, upon a stony height, stands Dal Guldur, where long the hidden enemy had his dwelling. We fear that now it is inhabited again and with power sevenfold. A black cloud lies over it often of late. So, <laughs> I mean, it's right there, right? <laughs> when you cast out a demon. Yeah, and, and what will happen is you'll sleep, sweep out his house, dry it out, and then... Seven more will come in. That's right. So you would have been, in the parable, if you don't replace it with anything, you would have better, been better off just letting the demon stay in there. So what Tolkien is obviously saying here is that the actions against Sauron when he made his force when he made his fortress at Dalgodur, that they they forced him out about, you know, seventy years before this, somewhere in there. And they didn't take it over. And they're worse off than if they had just left him there. That's the idea. So it's a greater stain on the forest than it was yeah, before. Yeah. So using that and using some other stuff that we get to, my, my postulation here is that in some ways, this is kind of a parable of the Christian people. You could take it to be the church. I, in some ways, kind of take it to be the Jewish people with Gentile distinctions. I, I take that because there was the really like almost the Canaanites, the orcs, that they can't even come in there at all, right? If you're not going to become an elf, essentially, if you're not a free people, you can't come in here. You're going to die. Complete separation. It's almost like, in a sense, faithful Israel, right? But if you're, if you're a Gentile, like Gimli, then you can't go in the holiest places. You're going to have to have a blindfold on and all that kind of stuff. And then we're, so all this thing is this, this idea. We're, we're separated from the world, and it's this, this idea of the white council that, that expunged the evil eye of Dol Guldur. So that would have been, the main actors would have been Elrond, Galadriel, Saruman, Gandalf, and presumably Radagast, with the White Council that runs Sauron out. And Tolkien is disparaging that very clearly in this chapter. So what should they have done? Right. Yeah. Yeah, they should have, uh, they should have kicked him out and torn down the castle um, and rebuilt a new one to take its place for the power of good. <laughs> um, because we see this, you know, we see this happening on the other side. Like, what happens to Minas Ithil? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's a tower in, on the edges of Mordor that the men of Gondor had taken. They made it a beautiful tower that was called the Tower of the Moon. More on that in later chapters. But, but when the enemy inhabits Mordor, he takes over that tower, and he changes the name of it to Minas Morgul, which is like the, the Tower of Shadow. And, it, and, and basically, the tower just embodies death. Right, it's decay. The whole the whole valley around it, death and decay, and really turns something that was beautiful into the ugliest thing imaginable. And so the enemy knows how to act, right? He has none of the hesitation about taking dominion. But we see 
that the good guys are afraid of that, that they will sweep him out of Dog Goldor, and then they just let Southern Mirkwood just leave it to its own devices. And it gets used as a fortress against them, and it takes away a strategic geographic part of the map. So it would have been Gandalf. That's not his task. Gandalf was never going to set up shop in a fortress because he has a different job. You know, he's the servant of the secret fire. He's, he's out there trying to stir up the forces. But what about Radagast, who already lives in Mirkwood, who spends his time tinkering around with birds and, you know, woodcraft? Right. Well, and he had a place, too, right? Rosgobel mm-hmm. was, in a sense, his, his fortress. Right. And so it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's kind of twofold because Legolas's father is there too, right? Right, and they have a fortress. Like it, it, it makes sense that this could have been a shared uh-huh. entity. I mean, I think Radagast makes the most sense to move in and take ownership, but but like there's good on either side, mm-hmm. and they do nothing. Yeah, what you should have done was taken that fortress over and changed the name of Mirkwood back to the, like the Greenwood. Yeah, yeah. the Greenwood. Why not reclaim it? Why do we never reclaim it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry to go into thoughts to Roman. Why do we never reclaim it? Why do we always lose it? You know, and, and I think there's reasons why. Yeah. I, I think like scripturally the things that come into my mind, right? They, like Paul girds us up often with images of right, the gates of hell cannot stand against the power, right, of the spirit about the power that dwells in us. Mm-hmm. He gives us imagery of the armor um, you know, that we wear in the battle against spiritual forces, right? It's like, these are, these are not sit back in your fortress, uh, metaphors. Like these are go out and fight metaphors. And we just don't do it. Like in all throughout history, like we, we have, we have failed in this mission to go forward. We are currently failing. (laughs) We are failing right now in this mission to go forward. I think it jumps out. I think, I think Tolkien is obviously trying to make that point here. And then, and then he just slams it. I, I mean, if, if, that was, if that was not subtle enough, like, which I don't think it was subtle. I missed it so many times. Maybe I've grown theo- as a theologian. Maybe that's why I saw it. I don't really know. But I saw it. And then, and then you see this imagery. Like, there's this idea. It, it would have been better to just leave Sauron there. But Tolkien and Haldir would not be arguing that that's what you should do. Right? No, you shouldn't just leave Sauron. You should kick his butt out. And then tear all his towers down. Like, why do you let him regroup? What's the idea here? Why do you even let him come into Mordor and regroup? You take all your people in there and you knock all those towers down too. And take that over and start growing grass on it. Right? What, why, why does he keep getting these countries? Right. You know? Well, it's the same, right? it's the same thing as Arnor. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a desolate wasteland. Like, the Barrow Downs, the barrow downs are there. It's an abandoned kingdom. Mm-hmm. And there are no men there. Mm-hmm. It was a kingdom of men, and there are no men. Right. Yeah, it's, it's super interesting. And so in the chapter, I think this, this gives it all. It's, it's some of Tolkien's absolutely most beautiful writing. I mean, it, it's, it's just incredible. It, it says that Frodo found Aragorn standing still and silent as a tree. And he had the golden bloom of Eleanor from these trees in his hand. And he looks different. It says that, it says that the grim years were removed from the face of Aragorn, and he seemed clothed in white. Don't miss that. He looks like a young lord, tall and fair, and he spoke words in the elvish tongue to, to one whom Frodo could not see. And in, in a sense, in a sense, this almost seems like the transfiguration, right? 
and and he says Arwen Benelmada Namaril, and and then he draws a breath and returning out of his thought, he looked at Frodo and smiled. He says, "Here is the heart of Elvendom on Earth, and here my heart dwells ever, unless there be a light beyond the dark roads that we still must tread. You and I, come with me." And taking Frodo's hand in his, he left the hill of of Kirin Amroth and came there never again as a living. I don't know why it makes me emotional. It's incredible writing. I think it's because if you're look, Tolkien doesn't do allegory, but this is this is so bathed in Christology that you can't miss it. He's clothed in white. He's talking to one whom you can't see. And I this is what made me look, I think the church thing could be there. But ultimately I think it's the tabernacle and the Jewish thing because of what Aragorn said. He loves this place. Does did, his heart dwells here. Did did Christ not come first to save to save his people, right? He came as a Jew to save his people, his covenant people. But he says, even though his heart dwells there, his heart will always dwell there unless there is a light beyond the dark roads that we still must tread. And the answer in this story is there is a light beyond the dark roads that Frodo and him have to tread. Right? There's work to be done because Aragorn's the king and Frodo's the priest, and that's the road that they're going to tread together. And what he's going to do is he is going to set his face towards something else and he's going to leave it behind him and he's never going to see it again. Right. Right. And and oh, man, what a what an amazing character. And it's it's interesting that this that this coming king who is prophesied about, right? Mm-hmm. Who could stay, yeah. you know, but he he know he has a mission and he's bound to his duty. Um, in the prophecies that he has to fulfill, and again, more, much more on that later. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's all here, it, though. But it's here, and it's like, and who's this king that unites the Gentiles? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, because that's what happens, right? It, right. Because Aragorn is not content to stay with the heart of his people, where his heart dwells, because mm-hmm. he loves Gladwell, because he right. loves the heart of Elven. His culture is tied up, you know, yep. almost in its strict. Right, they were always on the same time. The last alliance of elves and men, like this whole thing, goes back. That's why he's at home in Rivendell too. He says that, that he's at home in Rivendell, and yet he has to go on. But this is the place he loves the most. And you get even the garden, right? Where what what he's going to do is he has to kill the dragon and get the lady, right? And and the lady, like what should Adam have done? What Adam should have done was he should have killed the snake or the dragon, and he should have taken the lady. And he should have not left a fortress to be swept clean and inhabited by seven demons. He should have taken it all over. And that's what Aragorn's going to do. He's going to become the king of the north. He's going to reclaim Arnor. He's going to reclaim the south. He's going to claim Mordor. He's going to claim all of it. And he's going to ride his emissaries through the road all over the entire face of the earth. What did Jesus do? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. He killed the snake. He crushed the dragon's head. And he took his bride, the church, and he rolls forever. It's, it's all right there. In every corner of the earth. That's right. He doesn't stop anywhere. So the question has to be, why do his people repeatedly get tempted to stop? Because <laughs> we're full of sin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Do, do you like my take? I, I, I toyed yeah. a lot. It, for, the first yeah. thing that jumped out to me was the Amish thing. Or, or being, a, being like good but sectarian. Right, because look, the people of Lothlorien are undoubtedly good. But they are yes. good people. They are virtuous. The people of Moria were good. They were good. Gimli talks about the lights and 
the beauty of what they were trying to do. The the people of Gondor are good. Right. Right. <laughs> we we've already talked at length about Boromir is a virtuous man. His brother is also a virtuous man. Right. Right. right? The men that stand in the guard are virtuous men. Why can they not <laughs> and, and run together? All all of the mistrust, all of the mistrust that we see in this chapter is Boromir mistrusting these two great lost kingdoms. And and even more, Lorian, he says that he would rather go on a road that had a hedge of swords around it than to go into the golden wood. Right. Because he doesn't understand. Right. He doesn't know what he's talking about. But he also is exactly like them because he wants to hole up in Minas Tirith and like maybe secure his borders. But there's no thought in their mind about going back and destroying Mordor. Yeah. He didn't think about that. It's all right. about It's about defending the kingdom, right, right. not advancing the kingdom. And, and really in some way that's Dane too. Right, like Dane, Dane at the Lonely Mountain, worried about losing his kingdom. He wants to stay, but who who goes? Right, this this man Eric, he goes. Gandalf goes. He descends into the depths. That's right. He does. <laughs> <laughs> they are both going to descend into the depths. Gandalf has done it first. Aragorn, I think, is a disciple of Gandalf, is going to do it, and then Frodo, really to the greatest extent, I think, is going to descend into the depths. He's going to really go into like hell itself and he's going to do the job. And these, these three men with Sam following, right. That these, these three men are going to be the ones that, that basically show the rest of the world, how it's done. You can't stay in your hole. And, and I think Lorian really strikes at me as we, as we kind of wind into the end. Lorian really strikes at me. It works so well as a metaphor of the church. I think better than it does as a Mennonite or Amish community, but not as well as it does as, as like kind of the Abrahamic Jews, right, where this blessing was given to the nations, but it wasn't given to the nations because the Jews acted like wild grapes and they didn't, they didn't go. You know, they were always wanting to stay in, and then they always wanted to kind of look more like the people around them, right? Well, and their their mission always was supposed to be to fold the nations into their blessing. Right, right. And, that's, and that's why Paul says that the church has become the, the true Israel with the unnatural branches grafted into the tree because the vine of Israel, the true Israel, is Jesus. And, and so in this case, really, all the hope, the idea Aragorn stands in such contrast to these people because he's the man who is willing to never, not only is he not going to hold up, not only does he decide not to stay forever and just defend this keep, he actually will never see it again. He, he's gonna, he's gonna leave it all behind to go and do the job, right? Yeah, and it's it's also um, it's also really powerful, and we'll talk about it in much more detail. But when he takes minus Tirith, he doesn't stop there. Mm-hmm. No, he doesn't stay. <laughs> no, he marches right up to the gate of the enemy. Yeah, I I think it's it's an incredible chapter on worldview. It's it's incredible that that the three doubting like the the three you know Gimli had no doubts about Moria. Gimli is really kind of a board to go into Lorien. Not a lot of fear in it. He just wants to see it. Like Gimli is really open minded. You know Gimli. You know he's a great character. He gets shortchanged a lot too. Um, but but really what you see is there's there's a real stark warning here. Like you don't. It's not good enough to just throw them out, and it's not good enough to just get them off your border. You're going to have to do something else. Well, also, and I think the last, well, maybe it, it could be the thought to roam with. I'll hold it. Okay. Yeah. Do you want me to roll with it? 
Um, I think you went first last time. Okay, though. go ahead. So I, I think it's got to be me. Yeah, and yeah. so that way I can just run with yes, it. Yes. Is I think the, the thought to roam with here is uh, in, in line with Gimli is that, right, we also don't, we also don't abandon our brothers with a different culture, right? It's like Gimli is going to be blindfolded to walk into Lothlorien and that should never be. Right. And Haldir even somewhat laments it, but says, well, it's our law. It's like our law should not, right, in a, like, should not segregate our brothers just because they're in a different culture, mm-hmm. right? We are on the same mission. We are advancing the kingdom, right? That's exactly what's happening. We're advancing the mission right here in this story. And we're going to basically make, you know, put a blindfold and limit the effectiveness of our friend. Mm-hmm because he's not one of us mm-hmm. and that's good it's a it's a it's a dangerous thing to fall into and it, it can be along doctrinal lines it can be along practical lines there's a lot of ways that we draw distinctions that really shouldn't get in the way of cooperation you know there's there's a difference between you know what you got to do as a church but but that difference comes in what you have what you do with christians we can we can meet and worship in slightly different ways on Sunday, but that doesn't interfere fellowship to speak. Uh, I think I think my thought, thought to roam with is, man, it's it, look if anybody listens, I, and I know I know that a lot of people that listen to this are of the same wavelength. And here's the idea: the great hope we have is that we will be faithful to Jesus, that we will do our job to raise up families. This would be the warning: is that it, it's in the name of being a conservative. Conservatives, by their definition, try to save something. They, they try to keep something the way it was, at least at some point. There is a lot of admirable about that. There really is. I, I would describe myself as a conservative. Um, the problem for conservatives is, is that because they want to merely save, they keep getting pushed along the stream and accepting more and more to the point that we don't even remember what we're trying to conserve. And I think what we can get into the trap of doing is thinking, hey, we're going to have kids and we're going to teach them to be good Christians. But then in some ways, we stop at what does it mean to be a Christian is maybe have more kids and, and have some piety. And I think what we have to do is we have to start thinking, know more about how the Bible talks about raising our kids is where we, we build an inheritance, not for ourselves. You know, Jesus warned, like, we're, we're not to store up grain in our barns so that we can quit working. But what we are to do is to build an inheritance to pass down to our kids. Why? So that they can keep stretching their boundaries and their borders. And that, that's what America largely, what we did is we started chasing windmills all over the place with, you know, weird wars about people that we don't know anything about. And then halfway doing the job until they come back in. And, and we just saw it, you know, in Afghanistan as you go in there and you play around and you knock one demon out and then you pull out and the demon is seven times more powerful. It, look, Afghanistan's in a more dangerous position today than it was when we went there to start it's come back and they, now they have our weapons, right? They're far more dangerous. The idea is that you, we have to have a mind to, to expand our boundaries and our borders, that we cooperate with good Christians, like you said, and that our goal is a little bit greater than just being left alone in our house. The, the goal has got to be greater than that. The goal for conservatives has got to be something more than, I just want to be left alone so I can raise my family. How do we think that we're not going to be hated what we're doing the lord promises that we will be and so it's not going to be good enough to be left in peace we will never be left in peace if we're trying to do the mission and you see it, it, it these guys like aragorn 
Frodo, Gandalf, they're not going to be left in peace. They continue fighting. And even when, Gan- when, when uh, Aragorn comes into his own, the job just keeps going. He has to keep expanding the boundaries. It just keeps going. So I think that's my thought to Rome. That's, yeah, that's really good. And just to add on to it, it's just a thought that came into my mind. is like, you know, filling the quiver is good, but what good is the quiver if it's just left on the, you know, left on the stand? Yeah, yeah. got to right. shoot them out. <laughs> they got to, there's got to be a purpose. Right. It's, it can't be sitting in behind glass. Right. It's right, not the guy with 14,000 guns in his basement locked down. It's like, look at all these guns. Like, look, we're not advocating to go shoot people. Right. <laughs> but it's like, that's not, that's not dominion. That's that's not. Yeah. That's just having action. That's really what the people of Morning are doing. Look at all our beautiful trees. <laughs> Spread your trees. Yeah. <laughs> then maybe Bombadil will come over there a little bit, and you'll have some real power. <laughs> well, it, you know, bringing Bombadil back. I think it's about time to end this one. <laughs> so I hope you enjoyed this. Enjoyed this episode. Join us again next time on the Way Lesser Inkling podcast.